Blog Talk Radio. the City of Champions, Tampa Bay Lightning won at Stanley Cup. Downtown Tampa is crazy, Donner. I figured, well, let me come up here and do the show up here, but congratulations goes to John Cooper, Julius Benjamin, the general manager, Stephen Griggs, Jeff Finnick, 
the PR staff of Bill Wickett, Brian Griezmann, and Trevor. It's been one, one heck of a one heck of a celebration, one heck of a hockey season this has been, guys. And I can walk in the back sure had the guy who put, Let's put, not forget the guy that put that team together, too, Ron Eiserman. Yeah, CBI, CBY. CBI. CBY put that team together. So I'd like to welcome our, our hosts as usual, um, Mr. Don Henderson, our legends, Mr. Roger Hendler, and Mr. Roy Cummings, all our legends are on the air. Guys, take it away. What did you think about the cup? Well, Tommy, it's your night to celebrate. No question about that. And my only quick remark would be that the team that won – clearly outplayed everybody along the way. The Islanders gave them a shot at tough times, but boy, oh boy, against Dallas, it was a it was a team show, no question in my mind about it. Exactly. And the, the That's a great point, Don. Um, you know, I thought all along that uh, the two best teams in this tournament were Tampa Bay and, uh, and Las Vegas. And I uh, would have liked to have seen that matchup, but I thought uh, Dallas certainly earned its spot. There's no doubt about that. But Tampa had a habit in this uh, in these playoffs of making every opponent look bad. Now, did they have a couple of breaks? Sure. They, you know, they got a, a tired uh, Columbus team. Uh, it's not that good, and uh, they had they had revenge on their minds. Uh, so that worked out for them. Got a favorable matchup there. They got a very tired and worn out Islanders team. Uh, they got a Boston team that was out without its goaltender. And then they got a Dallas team that, uh, you know, clearly wasn't the best in the, you know, the best team in the, uh, in the Western conference, but the lightning went out in every one of those series and made every one of those teams look slow uh, you know, uh, looked bad, looked mm-hmm. disorganized. Uh, nobody could score on the power play against them. Uh, penalty kill was was weak. Uh, they didn't. Uh, you know, every once in a while, a couple of games here and there where somebody would take out Kucherov, and, uh, somebody would take out Point, maybe, but uh, no consistency in that regard. Didn't allow that to happen. Goaltending was solid throughout. Uh, the lighting were just by far the best team. And you know what? You can never be upset when the best team wins. I I don't care if you're a fan of Boston, Philadelphia, uh, the Islanders, Dallas, uh, Vegas. There's no argument. The best team in hockey uh, won this series. And they got better as the series, as the playoffs went on. And, Tommy, I know you mentioned them, and there was all that talk about – not all that talk, but there was a mention that Steve Eisenman put this team together. He did. He put the he put the the foundation together, but I think the thing that made this team truly special was what Julian Breezeblad did over the course of the last uh, eighteen months, where he brought in Patrick Maroon, Blake Coleman, uh, Goodnow, uh, these kind of players. You know, Luke Chen and uh, Shen and and made him a part of it. Uh, he really. He really polished it off, and he brought in guys who had what who had, and showed this team how to win in the playoffs, how to play in the playoffs, and gave this team Tommy what it didn't have last year. At the end of the playoffs last year for the Lightning, what were we talking about? A lack of jam, a lack of grit, a lack of grind. They had that 
more than anybody they face. I think the only team that has more in the NHL right now is Las Vegas. That's why I would have loved to have seen that series. That would have been uh, really something special. But uh, you cannot deny the Tampa Bay Lightning, easily the best team in the NHL this year. And uh, depending on what they can do in terms of keeping it together, certainly good enough to go uh, deep in the next year's playoffs as well. We'll have to wait and see what the teams look like all across the board. But uh, uh, it's hard to argue that they're a favorite. Because let's not forget, and I'll, I'll leave it back open to you guys, they won this without Steven Stamkos. Steven Stamkos won them a game by playing two minutes and 47 seconds and scoring a goal and inspiring this team. But in essence, they went through this playoff without Steven Stamkos, and it didn't bother them a bit. Oh, I thought exactly. in both ends or both ends of the ice, I thought, and Tommy knows better than I because you guys have seen more games with the Lightning than I have seen during the course of the year. But the the defense got better and better, and of course, it started right out from the goaltender. I mean, he made some saves that, you know, just so remarkable. Uh, every time a, a team tried to make a comeback, uh, he would shut down a very, very opportunity shot and then turn it over to the defense. The defense would move the puck right out of the zone. I just thought in all aspects of the game, they were by far the best team. Yes, You're right, Don. Right, and, and you know what? I, I don't want anybody to lose sight of this fact. Um, the Lightning did a tremendous job defensively. Uh, most of the shots that uh, were, were thrown at uh, Vasilevsky throughout the playoffs came from you know, the perimeter. Uh, not a lot of shots. First of all, a lot of blocked shots. Let's start with that. But one thing that uh, I'm sure you probably noticed as the series went on, certainly the series against Dallas, but it was the same against uh, the Islanders. It was the same against Columbus and Boston. The the two forwards on the power, on the penalty kill, in charge of pressuring the point, uh, those guys deserve a con smite on their own. Those, those four, five, six forwards that were out there pressuring those guys into into passes they don't want to make. You know, the Alex Kalorns, the Blake Colvins, the Goodnows, uh, Tyler Johnson, those guys, what an incredible job they did. The reason the Lightning were so good uh, against the, uh, the the opposing team's power play, the reason their penalty kill was so good was, yes, Vasilevsky. But Vasilevsky didn't face very many shots on the power play because those forwards, in charge of controlling the points, were so in the faces and, and so aggressive. You don't see that much at the NHL because guys all throughout the league have the ability to move the puck so quickly. The Lightning put those guys out of their game in every series and really, really just controlled uh, down a man. They were in control, and they didn't allow teams enough uh, air to breathe. And uh, I'll tell you what, it was a clinic. You want to know how to win a hockey game? Go out and watch how the, how the Lightning played uh, in almost every one of these series. That's a clinic in hockey right there, gentlemen. Exactly. Roy and everybody who played Brendan Point, makes him, I, think, I think make him a true superstar right now. He had a great time in the playoffs up there. But Conn Spike goes to Victor Hedman, best defenseman in hockey today, guys. Well, all I can yeah, tell no, but... you is it's a great team, and it was a, uh, it was a great series to watch. But the Lightning are an outstanding team. That's my my opinion on that. Uh, you're absolutely yes. right, Roger. There there isn't an aspect of this team that is weak. Really, uh, they had a weakness a year ago, 
they were weak in the corners. They were weak along the boards. Um, they, they were a little bit weak when they were uh, when they got down by a goal or two. They were a little weak if you if you if you hit them a little bit, if you rubbed them up against the boards, if you if you nudged them. Uh, they were a little weak there. Um, they're not weak anymore. Uh, they have addressed those issues, and they did it the right way. They got guys who are hungry to win. Um, mm-hmm. that, that was the other thing that I thought was special about this team is they were hungry, and, and they showed it. Um, this team did more than just avenge a loss to, uh, uh, to Columbus in the first round last year. Uh, they went out and showed just how special they are. And, uh, yeah, you're right, Tommy. Uh, Braden Point certainly uh, moved into superstar realm uh, during these playoffs. But uh, Victor Hedman, um, I think there, there's, a, there's a point beyond being a superstar in sports. It's when you become one of the faces of, uh, of the league. And yes. I think that's what Victor Hedman did. I think Victor Hedman surpassed almost every elite defenseman in the game today during these playoffs, and, uh, and not just because he won a second uh, Norris Trophy. Well, he didn't win a second. He, he got nudged there, which is unbelievable. But um, I think everybody understands now that uh, he is the best defenseman in the NHL. You, you, you nailed that one, Tommy, for sure. Roy, Roy, don't you think, too, that when you talk about perseverance, if I'm not mistaken, this is his 11th season in the National Hockey League, and, boy, to come up on your 11th season and win all the irons and at the same time win the Stanley Cup, uh, you can't ask for a better either three-quarters of the way through your career or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, you're right. and you know, But it also goes to show you, and, you know, Tommy's seen this. I've seen it. Uh, you, Frank's obviously seen it. Don, I think you've watched it a little bit too. Uh, you know, we've seen Victor Hedman mature. We've seen him go from being mm-hmm. this kid who had the size and, and the ability uh, mm-hmm. and the talent to be – uh, a true two-way defenseman, a legitimate Norris Trophy candidate in terms of the ability to not just shut down a team's best forward or best line, uh, but to play in his own end, play deep in the other end, score goals, set up the offense, run the power play, the whole bit. He's got all the skill you want. But it does take time. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, at times it was a rocky road for Victor Hedman. There were times when he had some bad games. Uh, you go back to uh, – uh, their, their loss to uh, the Pittsburgh in, in one of the Eastern Conference Finals a few years back. He had a horrible game on in Game Seven and uh, uh, took a little bit of heat for it here and there. But uh, at the end of the day, and last year too, he took heat last yes, year as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it all came together for him, as you said, Don, this year. And it just goes to show that when you're playing the toughest position, whether it's uh, a, a pitcher in baseball, a left tackle in football, uh, with your back up against the, the you know the the, the goal in, in, in basketball, a defenseman in hockey who's expected to play both ways and play exceptional both ways, it takes time. And if it doesn't happen over the first four or five years, sometimes you got to say, well, why do we get this guy? We got this guy because we think he's going to be a part of our team for the next 10, 12, 14 years. And sometimes you have to wait until years 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 to see that. And if it ends up getting winning you a championship, well, then it was all worth it. And uh, it clearly was uh, for Victor Hedman, no doubt about it. Yes, it was. Another Vavilevsky's following his own, too, Roy, because he's finally playing a good goaltending that we all expected when they drafted him. Yeah, he's um, he, he has proven that, uh, you know, the, the questionable move when Ben Bishop was moved and, and he was uh, put in place as the goal t- starting goaltender, 
uh, it, it was the right move. Um, you know, look, let's face it, Vasilevsky, he had a, he's had a tough road too. He's he's looked right. so weak at times, but um, again, he's maturing right in front of our eyes. Uh, Braden Point's maturing faster. Um, they've got a lot of guys who are maturing. I thought a couple of players uh, for the Lightning disappeared a little bit in these playoffs. Let's not uh, forget that. Uh, I thought Tyler Johnson was was absent. Uh, hard to find him a lot. Um, uh, Anthony Sorelli, a guy who was you know obviously uh, a big contributor during the course of the season. Um, mm-hmm. He he, he especially in the semifinal bit, series. Sorelli was very, yeah. was very obvious there. Yeah, but you know what? Other guys stepped up, and again, some of them were veterans. Blake Coleman, uh, Goodrow uh, stepped up. Maroon stepped up. Yanni Gord stepped up. There's another guy, Tommy, who's come into his own clearly for this hockey team, who uh, who has shown you this is how you play the game. You know, Alex Kalorn, who has been a real uh, killer in the penalties. His, his nickname is Killer, but uh, <laughs> when he kills, is in the in the playoffs. And this year wasn't as prevalent in the playoffs as he has been, but that's okay because other guys were. Uh, Sergachev came through. They had cool. guys really step up. And, and when you see that happening on a regular basis uh, with three, four, five guys, you just you can't help but feel good about what's, what's ahead. They could lose a couple of bodies uh, here, and they probably will. It's going to be hard to keep this team as it is together. Um, they could lose a couple of bodies but not lose uh, their, their momentum because they've got plenty of that going. Well, that's pretty much what Lou, Lou Lamoretto had a little bit of a press conference yesterday with a, a write-up in a paper today in the sense that uh, he is saying, even though you're October 9th, you try to turn the page, you get ready for uh, the draft and get ready for the next, uh, the next season. And it's certainly very, very quickly after this season ended. But as he said, he's very, very content with the Islanders that he is not going to go crazy in the free agent market uh, or anything of that nature because he feels he's got all the basic tools right with him. And I, your observation, I think, is 100% correct, Roy. The Islanders, are, uh, I mean, the uh, Lightning are in exactly the same spot. They've got all the tools. Uh, maybe just have to t- tweak something a little bit, but they don't have to change too much. Yeah, I agree with you on the Flyers. Uh, look, we, we were all uh, very impressed with them throughout the course of the regular season. Um, they, they were the best team when, when the league shut down in the NHL, uh, or at the very least, one of the top three. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were on a, uh, riding a wave at that point, had a lot of momentum going for them. They picked up right where they left off when the tournament started. Uh, they were exceptional, came out of the round robin uh, as the best team, and just got, uh, just got a little tired. You know, I think they ran out of gas a little bit. But um, you're right. They, they've got all the bodies. You know, they've got the goal. And the Islanders the same way. The Islanders have all the bodies. They were an extremely young team going in, and they gave everybody all they could handle. Right? So losing a losing a perfect position too, as far as just tweaking the Islanders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, it, it is going to be a very interesting uh, Eastern Conference uh, coming up next year. Uh, Tampa Bay will, you know, again, depending on what happens in the in the off season here. I don't know that Tampa loses too many bodies, but uh, they'll lose a couple. But uh, depending on how everybody looks, uh, you're going to see teams. Uh, Tampa will be at the top, but Philadelphia is going to be there in the top uh, eight. Uh, certainly the Islanders are. Montreal may be. Uh, the team to worry, the team, that, if I'm a fan, that I'm worried about is, is Toronto. Yeah, Toronto, mm-hmm. the blueprint is there. You know, Tampa Bay and Toronto were very, very similar 
uh, a year ago. Um, and, and, and what Tampa Bay did is when they went out at the trade deadline and got those grinders and got those guys who've been there in the playoffs and those guys who know how to play playoff hockey and kind of changed the tenor of the team a little bit, kind of changed its, uh, its identity a little bit. That's what Toronto needs to do because right now I don't see Toronto as a playoff team in this league. They can score. Uh, they got a good goaltender, but they don't have the jam. And, and other teams are getting, figuring it out and getting better. Philadelphia is. Islanders are. Florida is. Uh, you know, it, uh, Montreal, we just said. Tampa Bay. Carolina is still good. Columbus is good. Uh, if I'm Toronto, I'm worried. Yes. Uh, Roger, of course, has been following the Phillies right down to the wire. And uh, playoffs, the Rays right now are uh, in the driver's seat. They won a couple of games in the playoffs. And, uh, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting as it unfolds. Uh, got to give the the Rays a little congratulations too, uh, because what a what a performance they put together at the end of the season to win, and then to go into the playoffs and uh, uh, it looks like they're going to carry it right through. And yeah, it was eight to two win today, Don. Pardon me. Wow, they're, they're they, they won today eight to two. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying. They won. Yeah, they won a little bit. Otherwise, watching the game. They won just a little bit ago. I, I will tell you, fellas, this, that the consensus in Philadelphia, that the Philadelphia market has one good team, and that would be the Philadelphia Flyers. That's right. Well, based on what we've seen of the Eagles for the first three weeks, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, one other, one other thing there. before we leave – before we leave the hockey, one other thing I'd like to make note of, because uh, Henry Lindquist uh, announced uh, yesterday, actually yesterday afternoon, early today, uh, that this was it. He was going to be uh, bought out by the Rangers. And what a tremendous, tremendous career he had for 15 years uh, in New York. And I'd just like to take a moment to talk about the Stanley Cup and talk about hockey uh, to salute the job that he did. He was one of the outstanding players in the National Hockey League. And one of the outstanding gentlemen in the game, uh, guys, as well. Uh, the NHL will uh, has lost one of its uh, one of its jewels. There, there's no doubt. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist, uh, not only a great goaltender, but just a great person, and, and right. what a class act all through his career. Um, tell you what, he he served that Rangers team extremely well. Uh, an era is over in New York, and it's unfortunate. And uh, uh, I'm not sure if uh, he comes back and plays next year. My guess is somebody will probably take him. Uh, they should. I think he's still got something left in the tank and uh, probably wants to keep on playing. And, uh, well, he should because, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a sad day when he's leaving, but you knew this day would come at some point. Uh, Rangers have to right. move on. And uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, you're right, Don. Uh, what, 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 a great, uh, what a great player and what a great person. And he took the buyout for this year coming up. Uh, and and uh, I think you pretty much knew that the hand rate was on the wall. They brought the young man in from Russia who has all the uh, qualifications to be one of the great goaltenders in the National Hockey League. And they already had two other two other goaltenders other than that. So I knew that, uh, or I didn't say that I knew, I expected that Henry would call it, call it a career, but he certainly had a great run. Yeah, the Rangers are a team to watch in free agency. Uh there's not a whole lot out there, but uh, I think they're a team that could make a, a, a pretty significant move or two because they've got a lot of pieces, particularly up front. 
uh, at the forward position. I, I think they're a team that uh, that could take a, a bit of a leap next year uh, if they get a couple of new bodies in there that are uh, the right bodies and they uh, uh, and, and they get you know get some breaks with with health and things like that because they've definitely got uh, some scoring ability. And you're right. Uh, you, you don't let a guy like Henrik Lundqvist go unless you got a, a darn good goaltender to replace him, and they do. How about your you Cubbies, know, my boy? Before we run out of time, how about your Cubbies? Yeah, I'm. Uh, <laughs> oh gosh, I'll tell you what. You know, well, let's say this, guys. Okay. You know, Joe Madden was let go last year, and there was a lot. You know, a lot of question as to why this team. You know, for two, three years in a row. Now it's two, three years in a row. But for the last couple of years under Joe Madden, they just lost their ability to hit consistently, uh, hit well late in, late in the season. Well, here we are at the end of a 60-game season, couldn't hit, still can't hit, couldn't hit today, and uh, they end up losing. I, I don't know that they're going to get through this first round. And if they don't, I don't know that – well, I, I'd be a little bit hesitant to, to start moving uh, – you know, changing managers and things like that off the 60-game season and, and bodies even. But uh, something's wrong with this team, the Chicago Cubs, where, because it's two, three years in a row now where they get to uh, we get to late August, get to September, and get to October, and they can't hit. And it's not a matter of talent. They've got talent. They've got exceptional hitters on this team. But something happens uh, when, when, you know, the calendar turns to September – and they can't get it done. And right now they're in the process or they're on the verge of, uh, of being swept out of the playoffs early yet again because they can't hit when they need to hit. Well, Roy, I know you have dinner waiting. Everybody's uh, on the sidelines. And we have Tom <clears throat> LeMain, one of the outstanding radio television personalities in Philadelphia, ready to add into the show. So uh, we'll go to Tom in just a second. But first of all, uh, Roy, thank you very, very much. As always, it's been been a great half hour. Hey, Tom, well, I just want to say something always, to Roy uh, before he gets away. Uh, you know, Roy, the, the Phillies are in the same situation. Uh, the September swoon. And I think that, uh, and Tom will probably uh, be able to comment on this. I think that Clintac is, and I think hopefully McPhail, both of them are gone. Because this has been five years, and it's a disgrace because they don't have really anybody in the minor leagues. And listen, after five years, you've got to have some luck one way or another. At least that's the way I feel. And the Phillies, you know, I think with the Phillies, what it was a matter of mental frustration because of how lousy the bullpen was. And here they had leads late in the game, and they lose because of the bullpen. I, I think it took its toll finally. Yeah, you may be right. Uh Again, I'm you know I'm not a fan of uh, moving managers and really even moving a lot of players uh, off a 60 game season, but um, it's it's unfortunate. Would have liked to have seen what this team could have done, uh, you know, in a regular season, and maybe we will next year. Look, they've got some pieces. They still, much like the end of last year, there's still a couple of things they got to figure out, uh, particularly in the to me on the pitching staff. You got to get another starter right. too. Yep. Uh, you, you've got to figure out the, the bullpen. Uh, particularly the back. And, look, they made some nice moves at the end, getting Workman, uh, Hembry. I, I like those moves. That that should shore up that, that spot at, in the back of the bullpen and give you some depth if Naris comes back. So I like what they've got there on the staff. They do need to get another starter, and there will be some available. 
Uh, you know, Lance Lynn may be available. There's, there's plenty of guys they could look at, I think, to kind of beef things up there. They've got some money to work with. That's not a problem for them. But uh, there are a couple of players that have to start coming through a little bit more. And, uh, you know, that's part of it. So they, uh, they've got a lot of pieces. But I think they got to settle on uh, some positions for guys and figure out exactly uh, what it is they want to do going forward with certain players and uh, are they going to be a big part of this or not. Because the talent's there. Uh, they're, they're good enough to make a, make a jump and get into the playoffs. Uh, they just need to be a little, bit, a little bit better at a couple of spots. You're right. All right, Roy, care, once again, you thank you week. very, very much. Thank and you. I think we could follow in the same vein because uh, Tom LeMain, as I said, a uh, a radio television stable at Philadelphia for so many years and covered everything, covered hockey, covered the NBA with the 76ers, mm-hmm. the Phillies, every, you name it, Tommy's been a part of it. And Tommy, maybe you'd like to fill in and, and uh, just add to what uh, Roger's question was, how you think the Phillies are going to turn the quarter now for the next year? Well, I really don't know, but Roger made a good point. I, you know, players will never admit this. But when you go out and bang out six runs a game and you blow the biggest, uh, the most three-nothing advantages of any team in baseball, you're going to say, yo, I mean, what's up with the bullpen? It's, uh, you know, and and I really see, I mean, uh, Roger may have a point there, and I see some of the dejection in some of the players of, you know, body language. Uh, You know, the Phillies, they lost two doubleheaders. All they had to do is win one of those games right. in, in the two doubleheaders that they lost or win one game against Tampa Bay on the final weekend. That's all they had to do was win one. But they couldn't do that. And uh, I just uh, – I think there's frustration set in from the team when, you know, I, I, how would you feel? I mean, you're busting you – know, you're having a great season. You're, you know – uh, the guys are hitting like crazy. They're scoring runs like crazy. Yet they're losing. And I think uh, you know how that you know works on you after a while. And although you know, to be fair, I don't think uh, I don't think the two big guns were a hundred percent. You can't right. tell me that uh, J- uh, JT Realmuto was a hundred percent when he came back to play. I, you know, when you have that kind of an injury, that doesn't go away that that quickly. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got to believe that, uh, that uh, you know, uh, Bryce Harper still had back problems. But that, um, you, know, you know, even at that, they were scoring runs to the tune of not being not in the playoffs this year. Uh, Roger, Lintak, Roger before that. you jump back in, Tommy, you're a little close to the microphone over there, Tommy, and you're drowning out uh, uh, the breathing. is drowning out uh, what we can hear. That's so. not- that's, that's uh, back to you, breathing, Roger. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we thought that that was uh, Leo back with us with the breathing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I heard the breathing before I came on the air. Oh yeah, yeah. Tommy's there. He's he's alive and well, Tom. So okay, but, you know, uh, Tom, I got to tell you before uh, you know we get back to the Phillies. I mean, I really hope Clentac and McPhail are gone. I never want to see them again. Just like I didn't want to see Cabler when he came, and I didn't. I wanted him to be in the rearview mirror, you know, with me. But the uh, I got to tell you real quick, we're going to have uh, Mike Conti on, uh, who does the play-by-play for the Atlanta United, and um, he and his and and his brother uh, Matt, he's the uh, PR director for the Indianapolis Colts. But uh, but Mike's down in Atlanta, 
and I think they went to Central Bucks West. And, of course, uh, he used to listen to the legendary Don Henderson. But when I brought your name up, he says, Tom LeMaine, he did the weather on Channel 3. So here are a lot of your fans, (laughs) Tom, all surfacing here tonight. Well, as Don mentioned, uh, I I just kind of ran out of things to do, so I retired. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I, I, I I kept getting away with everything I was doing. And after a while, you know, I said, okay, uh, you know, 50 years is good. I've been very fortunate. Uh, let me go out the front door before they show me the back. Right. Well, when you have that stack of money the way you do, sitting in the uh, underneath the rug at home, boy, you don't have to worry. You can <laughs> oh, yeah. run out the front door, the back door, the side door, and jump <laughs> off the roof because you don't have to worry about anything. Well, I, yeah, I'm glad you think that way, Don. But uh, you know, it's just take <laughs> one to know was, one, I mean, Don. Yeah, I was very fortunate to be in the business when I was in the business. You know, it, it all it all depends on when you were born. That's right, Tom. Well, I'll tell you, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think we could all say the same thing. It was a lot of fun when we had our day. Uh, I don't know that the I don't mean to to. to uh, uh, challenge the uh, people that are in the business now, uh, but it is so much different than it was when we were uh, involved. And uh, we just we we try to do the best we could. We try to get the best information out we could get. But we also had a great time together. And uh, I don't know whether they do that or not because I'm not around every day. But it just doesn't seem that it's the same. Well, let's uh, you know if if I had the same choice uh, when I was. Uh, when I finished my military uh, tour, um, you know, I, I was already in broadcasting before I went in the Navy. And, of course, the job was promised to me as soon as I was out. So I stayed with broadcasting. But when I left the Navy, uh, I had several offers from the airlines that uh, guaranteed me a captain, uh, whatever flight tours I wanted. Uh, but don't get me wrong. I'm very fortunate. I have no regrets. I, I chose the right path. However, if I had that same decision to make today, Don, uh, I might be driving a 767. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, might it might be on furlough, Tom. Well, that's true. I mean, but back then, don't forget, uh, the airline was a lot more, airline industry was a lot oh, more glamorous so than it is different. today. But, oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that uh, I was in it when I was in it and got out of it when I got out of it. That's the way I look at it, and I have no regrets. No regrets whatsoever. And you're right, Don. We had fun. I mean, there was times that, you know, uh, and you know, I think a lot had to do with the uh, the length of the games. I mean, you know, we would sit there, you know, hell, you know, okay, if the game went three hours, boy, that was way past Don Henderson's bedtime. But now, right. you, know, <laughs> I, you know, I've told you, you before. You can say that again. I, I, how many times – you can ask some of the guys in the press box how many times I invoked the Don Henderson rule. After the seventh inning, right. I'm out of here. If it's, if it's over three hours, it's the Don Henderson rule. I'm leaving, and in just 43 minutes or whatever it is, I'll be in the, in the arms. And uh, But uh, let's get back to some baseball here. I, I, I just watched the Rays and the Jays. You know, uh, these, these, these best of three series can screw things up quite a bit. Uh, but... Um, why don't we just fast forward to a Tampa Bay Dodgers World Series? You know, what I mean, Ooh, that'd be a, a great one. Ooh. Well, I, you know, it's uh, it, it would be it would definitely feature the two best teams. 
And Tampa would have well, to get Tommy, I know that uh, I know we're going to get to the to Buffalo because Buffalo has come out of the game winning three and uh, losing none, which is almost unbelievable if you look at past history. But just a final comment on the Flyers. We touched on it in the last half hour a little bit. Uh, the Flyers were on the way up. They've got a very young team. They've got one outstanding goaltender, as the Lightning has in Tampa, Florida. Uh, just your few comments on the Flyers and, and how they went up the season and where you see them and the free agent market on the ninth uh, and the draft ahead. Well, the, uh, they, just, they ran into a buzzsaw called the New York Islanders. And the Islanders eventually lost to the team that won the Stanley Cup. So if you want to look at it that way, if you want to follow the breadcrumbs, uh, that's one good positive thing. Uh, but as far as the team itself goes, they're, they're, they're stars, as you could see in this uh, season, their stars were the young players. Uh, they were the guys who made the team tick. And when you have their leading scorer, who is a what, 22-year-old <laughs> basically a rookie is lost to the season because of cancer. Uh, and, and he was the leading scorer on the team. You know, if he comes back with a full season and uh, they're, they're really set on defense, the goaltender, you know, as if, you know, as if uh, the, the current goaltender is not good enough, they just signed Matt Leon uh, for another, uh, you know, terminal contract. And uh, so they're good at goaltending. They're good at defense, and they have guys that can uh, that are you know big guys who can skate. And I I saw this coming a long time ago as as something that the National Hockey League has become. Uh, look at the guy who who uh, won the most valuable player in the uh, in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, uh, how big is he? How big is seventies? I mean, <laughs> I you know when I first saw him come to the league, I said this guy is so big, but if he can skate, he'll be a big star. And he ends up, you know, winning the Conn Smythe Trophy for the Tampa Bay uh, 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 World. I mean, uh, Stanley Cup champions, and that's the team. And, and and the Flyers, the Flyers do have those kind of guys. Look at look at the size of their defensemen, especially the young guys. Uh, Phil Myers, undrafted, you know, and all of a sudden he comes on strong and had a very good season. Uh, they just signed Robert Haig again, another young big defenseman, and uh, you know, I, I really think they're set. Uh, Don and I, I really, uh, to me, they have. If if the if Barry Trotz is the best coach in the National Hockey League, then Alain Vigneault is right behind him, and uh, I, I think I think the adjustments that uh, he is making, and uh, and another season that will start from fresh with all the players available to them, uh, the Flyers will definitely be contenders. Yeah, but Tom, right now, Roger, we're standing. I, well, hey, I so, go ahead, Tommy. Ahead, no, it's Tommy. just a ton of Tom. Lord Stanley's down there enjoying the nice warm weather and has a, he has a tan too. So he's enjoying that. But, you know, as you saw that at least the playoff series, you see how great a star Brandon Point is. He's the next up, upcoming superstar for the, for the, in, the, in the NHL, along with Edmund and that. And Fabulowski, this team is for good for many years to go. The Lightning, Tom. The yes. Lightning. What? No, I know, but I didn't know if Tom understood that that's what you were asking. Oh, it's just us telling him. Like, Did we lose three? Tom? Did we lose Tom? No. Lemay? No, he's still on the board. Okay. Sounds like something. I mean, he must have lost. lost. 
Tom, are you there? No. Well, anyway, yeah, I don't know. I'll call him back. Okay. The, uh, no, Tommy, I, you're, you're right. I mean, and, and they, uh, last year uh, was a shame because I think they were a great team last year, but it just didn't work right. out. But, boy, they were determined to come back even with the split season. And, and it was really a pleasure to watch them play, just like it was the Flyers, you know? Right. You know, but Roger, the, it goes back to 15. They should have won the Cup in 15 and 16 and 17 on a stretch run right now. I think right now, John Cooper wouldn't, okay. wouldn't have not won the cup. I think he would have been out of a job right now. So pressure's on John Cooper, and the window is shutting real quick now. The window's stable right now, and they can go after yeah. the players for next year. So, but it's, it's a big party downtown Tampa, and I decided to stay home. I wasn't feeling that great, so, but I'll be down there tomorrow. That's all right. You'll be there. Now. Don, Don, are you there? I'm right here. Oh, okay. Well, uh, Tom, Tom's back, and uh, Tom, we lost you. And uh, Tommy was asking you a, a question about uh, his Lightning and and what your opinion was of the the uh, new Stanley uh, Cup champions. Well, they they're the best team in the league. Um, if you lose somebody like Stamkos, and uh, mm-hmm. you got, got you know a guy like Braden Point can step in and take over and uh, really yep. lift the team up. Uh, but you know, when you've got the number, when you got the best goaltender in hockey, you know, and uh, I, I talked earlier about Hedman, Victor Hedman, um, mm-hmm. you know, a big defenseman who can score and play defense and put in a lot of minutes. Uh, there's your core right there, and right. Uh, then you got the guys who can pick up, you know, uh, uh, the guys they picked up in trades, and uh, you know, hey, look, uh, you guys might be, you guys could possibly have three parades in Tampa. You know, if if, uh, if Tom Brady, I'm planning on that. I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, schedule, and they they right. got a tough run for the next three games. But their last three games, who knows? I mean, you can't really tell how teams are going to right. play the rest of the year. Right. They got a tough three game run now, but then at the end of the season, they've got an easy three game run. So uh, right. you know, Tampa Bay. Uh, like I said earlier about the baseball team, I just why don't they put Tampa Bay and the Dodgers in the World Series right now? And uh, these, but however, these best of three series can go any way. You know, I'm looking at the Cardinals right now in front of San Diego. You know, it's amazing how the St. Louis Cardinals are always around. You know what I mean? They yep. trade some yep. guys. They they lose their best players, and uh, and they're still in there. They're, they 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 yes. contend every year. And uh, and it doesn't matter. Well, it's six to four, team. six to four right now on the bottom of the seventh inning, and uh, two outs. And and uh, you're right, the St. Louis Cardinals organization is one of the best ever. But one other thing, Tom, I'd like you to comment on, uh, which I think about all the time. Uh, what a tough year it had to be, not only for uh, the team, but also uh, up in the booth, Tom McCarthy and his crew. I mean, broadcasting that many games are so poor. I mean, to keep your momentum going, to keep what's uh, really happening in front of you and not be overly critical, I guess. I I don't know how you could not be, but uh, it's got to be a tough, tough assignment. Don, you're you're talking to somebody who holds the record for broadcasting the most NBA losses in one season. 
<laughs> so, but, you know, and but I always remember what my broadcast partner said to me. You know, I, th- that year, that uh, we only won nine games, but that year Cleveland only won thirteen games. Right. So we're playing Cleveland. We're at the old Cleveland odd and and near the end of the season, the uh, Sixers are playing Cleveland, and Bill Campbell is broadcasting the game next to me, like it was Game Seven of the finals. And I said, Bill, I, I just, you know, I, to, to get to your question, Don, I said, I don't really, Bill, I don't know how you do that. I mean, it, it, this game doesn't mean dip to anybody here. The two worst teams in basketball playing late in the season. And he said, I want to tell you, he said, if you lose the passion for the game, get out of the game. Bingo. And I never forgot that. So no matter how bad the season's going, you you know, right. first of all, you're very, you're very fortunate to be a broadcaster on the major league level. Whatever it is, basketball, hockey, baseball, and 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 that that when Bill Campbell made that comment to me, and I said that during a commercial break in Cleveland, that stuck mm-hmm. with me forever. So I hope that answers your question, Don. Well, the other thing is that Joe Girardi was so accustomed to outstanding players, both offensively, defensively, and and a bullpen that was probably five, six, or seven deep at most times. Uh, good. Good, like great starting pitching with good starting pitching, and he comes into Philadelphia, and I mean they have none of the above. They don't have a good defense. They have no bullpen. Uh, they have sporadic players. I mean even Harper, oh yeah, he hit a few home runs at the end of the season. He did some uh, obviously very positive things, but as a team, uh, it just wasn't there. I mean they just, and well, I, I imagine it just had to be so hard for Girardi. Every night to do that post game show on NBC Sports Philadelphia. I mean, you sit there and you watch him, and then what can he say? I mean, they ask him the same uh, well, questions you know, every I, night. I, I don't, I don't share that thought with you, Don. I mean, you know, Joe Girardi is a very successful manager. He hasn't had a full season with the Phillies yet. He really hasn't had no. a chance to put his implant on on the players. Uh, I don't think the Phillies are bad defensively. I think there's a lot of uh, fundamentals that are not only missed by the Phillies, but throughout baseball. When I see some of the things that some of these players do now, and I said, my little league coach would not allow me to do that. And and I right. just think that they've, they've gone. So give Joe Girardi a break here. I mean, and I don't have a, you know, he's, he's getting. Well, I'm not, down, I'm not criticizing Joe Girardi. I'm talking about, no, no, I'm, uh, I, I, I think I he did the best that he could do with the players he had at his disposal. But uh, I'm just saying right. the contrast of 10 years with the New York Yankees and all the talent they had on the field and all the talent they had in the minor leagues, and then they come down and try to reorchestrate the Phillies the way they are in 2020 was almost an impossibility. And it going well, to that, forget, going to is, that, uh, he 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 had although he gets it now and it may never return, but when he was in the American League with the Yankees, um, he had you know he was he didn't have to worry about. Uh, pitch hitting for the pitcher, uh, which he had to do coming over to the Phillies. But now with this whole uh, season of, you know, no more designated hitter. And, I mean, the designated hitter is probably in for both leagues now forever, whether you like it or not. And, you know, suck it up because it's the hits here to stay, I think. But, you know, I Joe, agree. You know, Joe, Joe, to me, Joe substantiates what I have said for the longest time. Former catchers make the best yep. managers. The best manager. What, what, right. what, what position? What position did the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays play when he was in the major leagues? I answered Catcher. my question already. 
Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. And uh, Bruce you know, I'm Sochi. watching Yadier, Sochi. I'm watching. I'm watching Yadier Molina play here, and to me, he, he's the the catcher is, is the on field manager, and I watch him direct mm-hmm. players uh, that that when they picked off the rookie between second and third, a third a second tonight, Yadier Molina was the quarterback for that play. He told Goldschmidt, right. "Look." Get intercept the, the play from center, the throw from center field, and pick off the guy running because the guy running from second to third is a rookie and he made a big mistake. Yadier Molina, if he decides to, will become a great manager in one of, in one of the teams in Major League Baseball when he retires, if he, mm-hmm. if he cares to do that. And, again, mm-hmm. catchers. To me, catchers are, if you look down the line, they make the best managers. Why? Because they were managing the field as they were playing. And Joe right. Girardi, and I think the the big the big move I think to uh, get the Phillies squared away was, and I, and again I say you got to give Joe Girardi a full season. He knows how to manage pitchers, and yeah. uh, you're right. The point you made, Don, about you know he's got to got to deal with the, with the card that was dealt, the cards that were dealt him. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I I just can't imagine. Any bullpen being worse than the Phillies bullpen was this year. Oh, absolutely. You know, the other thing is that I said during the course of the offseason, I said the best move that the Philly management made in all of last year was to bring Joe Girardi in. I think he's one of the top three managers in all of baseball. And I think as we go on into next year and the year after, I think Philadelphia uh, fans are going to get to realize what a talented manager he actually is. Well, you know, I think Kevin Cash has something going there. I mean, he instituted what they call the opener. I mean, you know, he take a guy out of the bullpen, let him start, let the bullpen guy. You know, this, if you're going to specialize in pitching, these days, oh, this guy is good for the seventh. I'm only going to use this guy in the eighth. And, of course, this guy comes in. You know, to me, throw that whole theory right out the window. And Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Rays have proven me right about that. Look what they have done with their pitchers and how they've maneuvered them and how Kevin Cash has played this game up to the hilt with, with, with the pitchers he has. And, my God, you know, he picked some of these guys up. Uh, a couple of them used to play for the Phillies, if you remember. And yeah. uh, they, just throw, they just throw lights out baseball. And uh, here, here's the ball. Try to hit it. And that's, you know, and no matter who he brings in, I'm talking about manager Cash, no matter how, who he brings in to pitch, they have that same mentality. And I believe that when Joe Girardi, again, I'm repeating myself, I know, but when Joe Girardi gets to start a full season with his new team, the Phillies, I, I believe he will have that impact on his pitching staff. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, the Phillies certainly have enough offense. And, uh, you know, their defense is not that bad. I mean, you know, uh, you have, the rookie of the year is a third baseman for the Phillies, I believe. And yeah. uh, I, 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 to me, uh, that – that guy has shown things in that he has done this year in, in, in the short season that it's been. Uh, it looks like he's been in the league for five years or more. He's such right. a heady player. And, uh, you know, I think the Phillies are solid at third base for a long time with this guy. And, you know, you know who the first baseman is. He was out because the, the, the rest of the uh, a good half of the uh, season. Um, he'll be back at first base. If they re-sign, if they re-sign the shortstop, which is a question I, I would hope they would, they got a pretty solid infield and the best catcher in baseball. So their defense is pretty well set. Well, yeah, that, well hold on a minute. They, they, may not, they may not have the best catcher in baseball next year. They also may not have 
somebody like Dee Dee playing shortstop for him, who's not only a, an outstanding well, person said, yeah, I, in the clubhouse well, and on the field. He, well, here, here's the thing in Philadelphia. The Phillies have laid off half of their staff. All right. Now, how difficult he is. And for, you know, and I, getting back to what Roger said about the general manager, you know, I think Middleton, John Middleton's making the calls anyway. So if, if, if Clintac does stay on the staff as a general manager of the Phillies, I think he'll just be a figurehead. But how does this, you know, how does this rub, you know, in one way the, the, the fans are saying, you got to sign Riamulto. <laughs> Bryce Harper is saying, you got to sign Riamulto. Riamulto. But, at the same time, the Phillies are laying off half of their staff, you know, in, in their front office. And the, even the people who work the games, you know, the game manager, the game night workers, um, if they sign Riamulto to an unbelievable contract, at the same time, maybe that's why he's laying off, you know, half of his staff to have the money enough to sign Riamulto. Uh, but, you know, and, and D.D. Gregorius, I mentioned that if they keep him, if they re-sign them, they're pretty solid in the infield. And uh, if Middleton has that kind of money and they can say to hell with the uh, with the salary cap, then fine, let them sign them. Well, you know, Roger, Tom, it's about that staff. Yeah, well, I was going to say on that staff, I read that a lot of the analytics, guy, analytics guys are gone, which I think is terrific. That way, way overstaffed in that department. And and yet they still didn't produce on the shifts. They still had one of the worst shifts in all of baseball because, you know, of the uh, cyber analytics, cyberletics. So, I, well, you know, you know, I feel sorry for the crew, the people in the front office. But what are you going to do when you don't have any fans coming, no promotions? John Brazier is one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. I, I don't know whether he was laid off or not, but I feel bad for him because I know the guy. Well, I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about the scouts and, and, you know, those who are directly involved with the game. I'm talking about the people who come into the Phillies' offices every day. Oh, you know, well, I know, but they, they let go a lot of the, uh, uh, the uh, baseball people, too, and the analytics, I understand. Well, that's fine. You know, as, uh, as you said, you, you know, I think the backbone of any organization is not how much – do with the analytics, but how well your scouts, to, you know, tell you about players that they think are good or players that aren't good. I mean, uh, Major League Scouts, uh, they, they just did a, a fine two or three page story and, on Mike Arbuckle of the Phillies, who was, uh, you know, instrumental in, in, in scouting and developing players for the Phillies and was very instrumental in the Phillies winning the World Series with the guys he put together there. So, uh, you know, you're right, Roger. I think yeah, maybe it's a fad, you know, coming in and out with the analytics, and uh, we'll see how that flies. But uh, uh, I don't. I, I got to say, Tommy, I got to say that I agree with Ruben Amaro on the post game show from the last game of the season. And of course, Ruben was a former general manager of the Phillies, as you well know. But uh, he, every time they kept asking a question, he'd say, "You got to have pitching." What would you do? I'd get pitching. What do you think about that? I'd get pitching. If you don't have pitching, you don't win. And he's absolutely right. right. You've got to have pitching. And that's that's the name of the game. I mean, uh, down here in Florida, the Rays won all those games all those years because of pitching. They couldn't hit, they couldn't hit 215. You know, they'd hit 218, 220, and they'd win all those games because why? 
They always had four or five and two guys in the minor leagues ready to come up the next year. They always had pitching, and they still do. You're right. Getting back to the Phillies pitching, how many guys are you going to run through that bullpen before you find a couple that are going to stop a game for you? You know, nobody. I don't how see many, any. How many, how, how many big leads are the Phillies going to lose to uh, to a faulty bullpen? You know, I always said, you know, this pitch count is a – you know, I've never been in favor of the pitch count. And to me, when a manager comes out and pulls his starting pitcher, my question is, is the guy who he's going to bring in from the bullpen better than his starting pitcher? In the Phillies' case, no, he's not. So leave the guy in there. I mean, you know, and and I think the mentality of a pitcher nowadays is he knows, uh, you know, if you have if you're a pitcher, and you know that you're probably going to be pulled after a hundred pitches or so, it changes your whole approach to the game. But if you know you're in there for the entire game, you're going to throw a complete game no matter what you're doing out there. You know, okay, I had a bad inning. Oh, uh, looks like he's getting tired. We better go to the bullpen. And up. Uh, Consider that inning a bad inning and see what he does the next inning. And especially right. now that you don't have especially now that you don't have to hit for the pitcher. I mean, how easy oh. does that make it? But you know, You're right. how well, gentlemen, guys, we got we got a special guest with us, a big fan of uh, Tom LeMain and Don Henderson, a Philadelphian now in Atlanta, through New Orleans. Mike Conti, the voice of the Atlanta United. Welcome. To the show, Mike, and it's a real pleasure to have you with us. And I know that uh, these two gentlemen were heroes of yours and your brothers when you were growing up in Bucks County. Well, I'll tell you that this is Tom Lemain. I remember when he did the weather on Channel Three, and uh, I I remember growing up watching him do the weather on weekends. So, uh, and I even remember when Tom Lemain did the highlights on Flyers games on Channel 29. Uh, and some of that even exists on YouTube today. So uh, I'm a big fan of all of you and uh, uh, very pleased to be on with you tonight. Hey, Mike. Thank we you. certainly uh, got the great to right have you with us. you got a couple of big jobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just, you know, I was reading uh, on uh, 92.9 The Game's uh, website today about you and Hugh Douglas had some comments about uh, Dan Quinn and Dirk Cutter. And uh, I'll tell you what, you know, it was interesting. On Sunday after the uh, second uh, fiasco, I was telling Don this last night, The uh, I, I tuned in to the station. I wanted to hear the post-game show. And I hear I hear you doing the United game. Well, let me tell you, that's got to be a real uh, – and we have Mike Zimzak who's going to be with us, who's our soccer guy. And, but I got to tell you, that really has to be an exciting uh, venture uh, for you uh, with the United and the way the, the uh, city of Atlanta and the community has really taken to that team. Yeah, it is. And they've been a phenomenal success in their first three and a half years as a club. And, you know, never in my life did imagine, should I imagine that we would have a soccer team in Atlanta in pre-COVID times that would routinely sell out an NFL stadium, uh, and that's what mm-hmm. they've done. And on top of that, they've they've won a championship, they've won a U.S. Open Cup, they've won a Campione's Cup, so they've had a lot of success on the pitch. They're struggling this year. But they've definitely captured the imagination of the city. Uh, and I think in many respects, uh, you know, Arthur Blank has really been able to connect with um, – 
you know, a segment of, of the Atlanta population that maybe he still has not quite connected with, uh, with his football team. So it's been a, a, a great thing to be a part of. It's a lot of fun. Like I said, they are struggling this year, but, uh, uh, it's something I enjoy very, very much. Roger, you were there uh, pretty much from the beginning as they kept growing, growing, growing before you moved back to Philadelphia. And you talked about it so often. You talked about two things. Uh, one was the uh, the football development when they were going to, the Falcons were going to leave and the university was going to take over their facility to play football. And more importantly, what was happening with soccer. And it turned out pretty much just the way you said. Did we lose Roger? For some reason, yeah, he's he's back on. Go ahead, Roger. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Roger. The uh, yeah, go ahead, Mike. You know, I'm sorry, I got uh, I got lost for a couple. And Mike Simzak's with us. And uh, but you're right, Mike. I mean, it had to be um, just the way that team has developed. And I can remember talking to Matt Moore uh, when he was still mm-hmm. with the Falcons, and we were talking about the union and the stadium. And I think it was really smart that they sent Matt around to every stadium to, to see the good, the bad, and the indifferent. And obviously that has been a, a, a big uh, a plus too, especially having Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium. But yeah, uh, it, Mike, it, Sims, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, Roger, I mean, you're right. I, I think there was a real temptation uh, to build a stadium similar to what the union built in Chester, because the expectation initially was, eh, you know, maybe you'll get ten or 15,000 fans per game. If you're lucky, you'll have 7,500 season ticket holders. And instead, they've been able to draw 75,000 people to a game and have 40,000 season ticket holders. So uh, amazing, it ended amazing. up being a really, really good thing for Arthur Blank, building a new stadium and wanting to have another tenant in that stadium and, and uh, you know, Surprisingly or not, to some, they've been able to fulfill that demand. Yeah, Matt um, Zach, you're on. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll give you some numbers to back up my yes, uh, argument. They've been averaging over fifty thousand fans per game for 2018 to, since 2018. You know that puts them tenth worldwide, like of all the soccer clubs in the world, including like Inter Milan and AC Milan, some of the biggest clubs in the world. The, the Atlanta United is tenth worldwide, so yeah, that's <laughs> you guys are doing a good job. Um, I, Mike, it's a pleasure to meet you. By the way, um, you too, Mike. Uh, listen, you, beyond just the early success of getting the fans in, um, you guys had you did a great job of assembling a roster that ABC. was able to come in and compete from day one. I mean. You made the playoffs the first season. Uh, we're within, you know, a rat's butt hair of making it into the MLS Cup Finals, which you did in 2018, and won it under um, Tato Martino. Uh, what is it about the organization that Bocanegra and Darren Eel set up that allowed them to be so successful from the word go? Well, I think they had a very supportive owner who was willing to spare no expense within the the salary cap rules of major league soccer. And, and you mentioned Tata Martino. Yes, that's a big part of it. I mean, he's someone who uh, managed at one of the biggest clubs in the world oh, and then managed one of the most significant national teams in the world. 
Uh, and by hiring Tata Martino, I, I think it gave the club that instant credibility in its first year. And the presence of Tata Martino made Atlanta United a very appealing destination for players in South America, such as Miguel Almarone, uh, who wanted to use Major League Soccer as a springboard to potentially being discovered by a big club in Europe. And Almarone's a great example of that, obviously. I mean, he spent two years here in Atlanta, uh, and now he's playing for Newcastle, and he's flourishing in the Premier League. But I think it was that initial investment in a guy like Tata Martino, and quite frankly, an investment in someone like Darren Eels as a club president, someone who came from Tottenham, someone who was extremely well-respected within the Premier League, uh, and someone who not only could be a club builder, but also be a really, really strong ambassador for Arthur Blank's brand in the community. And Darren has absolutely nailed that aspect of his job. So, it, again, I think, you know, some clubs in MLS, you have owners that are a little bit reticent to go out and spend money and invest in the club. Um and as a result, they don't necessarily enjoy the same degree of success as the more ambitious clubs. I think it's been a, a total opposite here in Atlanta. Arthur Blank wants to have a winner. He wants this to be part of his legacy to the city, to have a successful club that will exist long after he's gone. Uh, and so far, he's been very, very successful in building that. You spoke a little bit about the success that they had attracting some really great young South American talent in um, Tito Villaba, Miguel Almiron, Joseph Martinez, who unfortunately is injured or else I think you guys would be in a better position. Um, The former two have moved on and been replaced, and it seems like they've focused a lot of scouting on um, South American bringing in some young South American talent uh, in their primes at the hope of selling, buying low and selling high. Sometimes yep. it works, sometimes it di- doesn't. Um, can you speak to the situations with uh, Ezekiel Barco and um, Pitti uh, Martinez? Yeah. So you're right. I mean, it, Miguel Almarone is an example of it working out tremendously, right? I mean, they, they sold him to Newcastle for $28 million. Uh, I think they were hoping to get maybe just a, a little bit more, but still $28 million very substantial profit for the club. So that's an example of it working. Um, You know, Pitti Martinez is someone who uh, was brought in here after they won the the MLS Cup in 2018. Uh, When they purchased him uh, from River Plate, he had just been named the South American Player of the Year. And think about that. The South American Player of the Year coming to Major League Soccer. What a coup for the league and and for the club. And I think Pitti's year and a half here might have been a little bit underrated. He did average almost, uh, I'm going to use an ice hockey term, a point per game. I mean, uh, between his goals and assists, uh, he averaged about one per match. He did have some injury problems. He was out of the team occasionally because he was called up to the national team, which is something you want, by the way. <laughs> you you know, if you're an MLS club, you want a player to go play for Argentina. That's going to be a good experience for them to play with Lionel Messi, right? Uh, and Atlanta United still made a profit in selling him to Al Nasser of Saudi Arabia. It was a deal where 
uh, Pitti had an opportunity to make a substantial increase in his personal salary playing for that club in Argentina, life-changing money for him. Uh, and, and the club wanted to do right by the player, and they had an opportunity to make a profit. So I would argue that's another example of the system working, where now you can take the profit. It might not have been a huge profit, but you can take the money you made as a profit and turn around and reinvest it in South American talent, which is what they have done uh, in purchasing Marcelino Moreno from uh, Lanus, who's going to come up here hopefully any day now and, and be Atlanta United's second or second healthy, third total designated player. You know, Barco is someone who has been injured, and unfortunately that's something that uh, neither the club nor the player can really control. He went to the U-20 World Cup last year and absolutely flourished for Argentina, and if he had been able to um, sustain that form for the remainder of 2019 and 2020, we might be talking about Ezekiel Barco setting the MLS record for highest purchase um, fee paid to an MLS club in history. He's just had a really tough year this year, but I don't think the book is necessarily closed on him. But I think long story short is Atlanta United's commitment is not to pocket the money that they made in selling Almarone, that they made in selling Pitti Martinez. They want to try to turn it into a cycle where you buy low, as you said, you bring in other outstanding players from South America, you cultivate them, you sell high, and you start the process all over again by reinvesting that money. You guys had a substantial turnover this season. Um, I'm looking at, uh, in addition to uh, Martinez leaving this season, uh, Leandro Gonzalez Perez uh, was go- was uh, left. Uh, Darlington Nagby left. Michael Parkhurst retired. Tito yeah. Malaba left. Uh, Julian Gressel was traded. Uh, how much? Did, that's a huge talent drain. Um, and how much has that played into the results that we've seen thus far this year? Yeah, and, and for your listeners who may not know, I mean, Atlanta United, you know, was, was MLS champion in 2018, almost won it again last year, and this year they're in danger of not making the playoffs. They are really struggling. They only have four wins so far this year, just uh, as background for your listeners. No doubt the roster turnover has not helped. Uh, and I, I think the, the player they miss most acutely is Darlington Nagby, who's one of the best ball-carrying midfielders in MLS. And uh, he expressed a strong desire to be traded to Columbus, and the club complied, and they got a million dollars for it. Um, but they've, they've definitely struggled to replace his production. You know, everyone else you mentioned, I, I think they've either made a, an even transition or maybe even upgraded a little bit. Leandro Gonzalez-Perez leaves. They bring in Fernando Meza from Nacoxa. He's been really good. He's just been hurt. But when he's been healthy and he's, he's, he's played a lot recently because he's finally back uh, healthy now, he's been outstanding. Uh, Julian Gressel, I would say if you watch the way he's played at D.C. and then watch the way that Brooks Lennon has played for Atlanta United – uh, Atlanta United did not downgrade there. Further, I think Julian Gressel's production without Joseph Martinez this year, because Joseph is hurt, 
uh, a lot of Julian's production was based on pumping in crosses to Joseph Martinez. So um, I'm not necessarily sure that was a downgrade for Atlanta United. But, but any time you're in roster transition like that, you have to rebuild the team chemistry. And the fact that you threw a pandemic and a three-month stoppage to the season and a very much start-and-stop nature of training because you've had some COVID scares and, uh, you know, now you have a, a, a schedule where you're playing three matches in a week. It's been very, very hard. Oh, and by the way, you're playing for an interim head coach now because uh, the coach you started the season with is no longer here. Uh, it's just been very, very hard to build chemistry and continuity. I think that's more of an issue than the, the actual roster turnover right now. Hey, Mike, How likely one of the is things it that... to do is, is talk a little bit about the uh, – before, you know, before uh, we let you go – Let's talk about the Falcons and, and how bad yeah. this situation is two weeks in a row. And then of course the Super Bowl a few years ago. So they're getting a lot of notoriety. What's the story with, uh, in your opinion, Dan Quinn, Dirk Cutter, the whole, the whole coaching staff, so to speak. Yeah. It's such a shame, Roger. I mean, Dan Quinn's such a nice guy. I really do. Great guy. Him. Great guy. Really, yeah. really great guy. I mean, this is the part of our, our job that really stinks when when you have a guy that you really like and you have to hold him accountable. But um, they just they can't figure out how to close games. Uh, it's kind of ingrained in the DNA of this franchise now. It, it was really exposed in the Super Bowl a couple years ago, and they've never gotten past it. Uh, I think they made some catastrophic errors on – on Sunday and managing a game where they had a 16 point lead with under seven minutes to play. Uh, and they, they decided because, and look, I understand offensive coordinators, they want to be aggressive and they don't want to get out of their game plan. But at a certain point, you have to look at the clock and the score and do what's responsible. And they elected to continue to throw the football. And unfortunately they attempted to throw the football and they, they had incompletions, and, and you had three three-and-outs that took a total of two minutes off the clock in those three drives. We were trying to mm. run the game out. This doesn't make sense. Uh, and, unfortunately, that's something that uh, Dan Quinn and Dirk Cutter are going to be held to account for. And this is a week after you had a team that apparently did not know how to handle an onside kick. So right. it's right. It's a problem right now. It's so unfortunate. But I think from a confidence standpoint, um, when you've been through this so much, I mean, six of the – or I'm sorry, five of the 13 largest blown leads in franchise history have been under this coach in just the last five years. I think from a confidence standpoint now, the, the moment anything goes wrong in the fourth quarter – uh, it, it's got to really, really take a toll on the players who are, you know, being put in a position to execute. So I don't know. Well, Mike, I don't know what the, the way forward is from here, but it's been a real struggle for them. Well, you know, Mike, I, I just you, want to I say, you, hit you on know, a one thing. Things, one, uh, people are going to go back to that Super Bowl forever. Uh, you know, that, yeah. that was a game that was won. I mean, no way you can lose that ball game. They found a way to do it. And then, of course, the onside kick. I mean, uh, you know. I mean, the ball doesn't have to go 10 yards. You're allowed to cover the ball. And, I mean, every, you've got 22 guys standing there looking at it, and they don't do anything. And then, of course, this weekend uh, just was the topper. I mean, I, I can't imagine what the fans in Atlanta are thinking 
looking at what, and I'm I'm not going to blame the head coach. I'm not going to blame the special teams coach. So, uh, somewhere along the line, uh, there's got to be a change in what's being done. Yeah, 100%. But as you know, you can't fire all the players. Right. Well, you, you know, know I, I said this on I've said this on the show. I I want to say I say I've said this previously. That when the when they played in the dome, they had a distinct home field advantage. In Mercedes Benz Stadium, is that great? Like it was in the dome. Am I right or wrong? Uh, no, what Roger, the, you're right. What did the sports writers and the and the fans? Uh, how did they approach Monday after that Atlanta Falcon loss? Because of not covering an onside kick. Yeah. Well, and, and just quickly to Roger's point, it, it, that is absolutely spot on. They've been, I think, a 500 team in home games since they moved to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, you know, I, I think after the onside kick debacle two weeks ago, I think fans and sports writers were angry because that it was just such a common-sense play that was not executed compared to this past Monday where I think it's almost now a sense of resignation that, look, this is just – this is the team right now. This is the coaching staff. This is the team. Uh, and as I said, it's, it's kind of in the club culture right now that they just choked they are not a very clutch team at all, and they haven't been in five years. And I, I mm. think, you know, when you see it happen once in Dallas, you think, okay, well, that's just maybe bad luck. It's an aberration. But, but I think this week the feeling around here has just been this sense of resignation. And on top of it, and Roger, you can speak to this, uh, Arthur Blank, who is usually very, very willing to be public-facing in a time of sports crisis, uh, has gone absolutely silent. And uh, I don't know if that's ominous for Dan Quinn or if there's something else going on. Uh, but this is a time where Arthur really needs to get in front of the fans, and he hasn't done it yet. And I think that's adding to uh, the, the sense of despair that exists down here in Atlanta. Well, you know, one of the, you talked about grinding it out and you know, yesterday with the 17-point lead. I totally agree with you. And the difference is, if you go back to early in Matt's career, back in 08, 09, he had Michael Turner and Obi Mohaley. Okay, mm-hmm. give them the ball, and they will grind it out. And that's where all that success was when Mike Smith was the coach. Okay? And, the, and, and uh, Malarkey was the uh, offensive coordinator. And the, I just think that uh, the, uh, you're exactly right. The ground game is what they need. To, to keep the uh, control of the ball, and they're just not doing it, right? Especially when they've invested as much as they have in the draft, in the offensive line. Last year, they used two first-round draft picks on a right tackle and left guard. Uh, in fact, they traded back into the first round to get that second offensive line. Uh, you spent big money on Alex Mack, who's a declining player but still a pro bowler. Uh, Jake right. Matthews has improved. I mean, you've made this real investment in your offensive line to get better at run blocking. Well, let's see it now. <laughs> and I right. think that's kind of the frustration, too. Uh, you know, furthermore, your defense has been so bad in the second half this year that I, I don't know how you can have confidence in your defense by making these high-risk 
play-calling decisions on offense where you're just going to keep throwing the football. If I were Dan yeah. Quinn, I wouldn't want that defense out there at the end of the game because they haven't been able to close. You know, it's amazing how similar uh, the Falcons and the Eagles are uh, this year, except that Matt has success and is consistently good, whereas Wentz is not. I mean, he's yeah. like re- regressed instead of progressed. But uh, uh, 100%. Well, Go ahead. 100%, Roger. I mean, that is the difference between the two clubs right now. Uh, I think the Eagles would probably be in a much different spot than 0-2-1 if they had Matt Ryan as their quarterback. Right. Right. Well, the other thing is that uh, Atlanta's gotten off to a disastrous start. And, uh, uh, Mike, how about Washington? They got off to a good start in the first game, and then things sort of went south after that. And what's the attitude in Washington, D.C. right now with with the Washington Ball Club? I wish I knew. <laughs> they're I they're one of the mysteries. I think, I think that's that, Mike Simcat. Mike, I think that's to me, Mike. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> we, got, we, we got two Mikes. Go ahead, Mike Simzak. Um, the attitude is when is the other shoe going to drop on uh, young Mr. Haskins? Uh, Coach Rivera basically said this week he feels like they have a team that's capable of winning and that he's going to give Haskins a few more games to get it together. And if he can't, then he's going to make that move. Uh, When you look at the performance against Cleveland and uh, the, the previous week, you know, he had that awful first half. He had the good second half against the Eagles, but then since then he has statistically been the worst quarterback in the NFL. Uh, turning the ball over, not completing passes, he has one of the lowest completion percentages in the NFL. Uh, so we're starting to see some of the struggles that have been forecast for uh, Dwayne. He, he doesn't make the quickest reads when taking the ball under center. Um, he can be inaccurate at times he's a player that wants to learn but i think the uh, the skills still need some development and the mechanics still need some development and you're seeing that and it also doesn't help him the fact that there are just so few weapons on the washington offense you know outside of terry mclaurin uh there's really not a whole lot there and the fact that they're losing that uh, Brandon Sheriff, their uh, all-world lineman, went off injured and may miss some time, that could be really uh, trouble for them as well. Roger, no, uh, they, well, I was just going to say the, the uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Washington football team winds up at the end of the year. But the uh, I'll tell you what, the NFC East is weak. Okay, and well, you get, look at the Cowboys, you know, they're supposed to be uh, pretty pretty decent, but I think they're still a little suspect. But they, I think they are the best of the East. What do you think in, in, in the South? Is it going to be uh, Tampa Bay, Mike? I, I thought coming into the season this was New Orleans' division to win, and it might still be. Um, you know, getting Michael Thomas back I'm sure will help them now. Uh, his absence was glaring. I, I do wonder how much Drew Brees does have left in the tank. Uh, he's starting to show maybe signs of, of age a little bit, but uh, 
I mean, the way it's shaping up right now, Roger, it's a two-team race. It's New Orleans and Tampa. Uh, you know, Carolina, even though they got a win without McCaffrey against the L.A. Chargers, I just don't know if they can sustain that, if he'll be out for six weeks. And Atlanta, I think we've covered that. You know, going to yeah. Game Day now on Monday, really good chance of being 0-4. And then, you know, you might be making a coaching change. So, it, Tampa or New Orleans right now in the division as far as I see it. I, I would you know, I would agree with you. Go I ahead. New Orleans was going to be the team uh, right from the very beginning. But I'll tell you, Drew Brees, uh, he's had a couple of really shaky games. Not that I mean, yeah. scores a lot of uh, moved the ball extremely well, but but lost the game, and uh, so maybe they're not as clear cut a favorite as I thought they were going in. Yeah, I'm with you, and you know, and Roger can speak to this too. I, I think the fact that they're playing in an empty stadium right now really hurts them. That's oh one yeah, of the bigger home, that's one of the bigger home field advantages in the whole league, uh, and that I think they're really suffering uh, right now, and that that's going to make them vulnerable. They've also had a really tough schedule the first three weeks, so it, that'll stabilize. But um, you know, they, they, choice over, you know, this week or, when they hit the field, you think when you think of the world, you think a team that's going to be in you know, pretty good shape all the way down the line. But right. I don't know that they're, they're not they're, they're not a big favorite again this week. They're struggling. They're not running it well with Camara, which is a surprise, and, and Thomas has been out. But uh, that's been one of the baffling stories of the first three weeks. And, and what I have to keep reminding myself is it's still early. Oh, yeah, absolutely. you're right. That's a good point. But only a four-point two. It's a little bit of a surprise. And, and uh, Atlanta, uh, this is the week almost uh, that they have to turn it around because if they don't, uh, you can't go four games into the season and be where they are. Well, no problem. Right. All they have to do is win at Lambeau Field against Aaron Rodgers. Should be a piece of cake, well, right? Well, Mike, the Eagles did it last year when they were down. That's so true. It, 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 it can be possible. Hey, listen, before we let you go, let me. how's your brother doing? And he's got to be happy with those Colts. Matt is going, doing great. Thanks for asking. They're a couple plays away from being 3-0. and uh, And, and I'll, I'll let him know that we talked tonight, Roger. He'll get a kick out of that. But he, he's doing great. And, uh, you know, I think the Colts got a little bit of a fortunate schedule for all the first three weeks. I think anytime you see the Jets on your schedule, you got to be pleased about that. But, uh, well, we'll see if uh, the Colts can sustain it because I, I think that NFC, uh, excuse me, that AFC South is wide open, and uh, I'll be very curious to see how Tennessee deals with the issues that they're dealing with right now. Because um, you know, if they struggle with the limited practice time over the next couple of weeks, that could really be good news for either Houston or Indianapolis. Well, Mike, I got to tell you, you know Philadelphia sports radio very well. Okay, and you're on it in Atlanta. I got to tell you, the consensus in Philadelphia is it wasn't Doug Peterson's coaching that won the Super Bowl. It was Frank Wright. Yeah. Yeah. um, (laughs) Yes. I got to be be careful how far I go with that. Oh, I know you do. That's why I set it up. I remember listening. I'll tell you. Right now, Cleveland leads four to one. <laughs> Cleveland's trying to break a terrible losing streak in the playoffs, almost yeah. similar to uh, <laughs> what's happened with other clubs like Cleveland. 
you know, Cleveland just can't win in the playoffs, but they got a shot tonight, so I'm four to one in the play in the second inning. Yeah. Hey, Mike, Mike what, I got what one more question at you. Um, you're up in my neck of the woods this weekend with uh, Atlanta United playing in D.C. United, which to me looks yeah. like a case of the movable object versus the resistible force. What's your yeah. prediction <laughs> on the game here? Boy, I, it is amazing how similar those two teams uh, how their seasons have gone. Both teams have their best player out for the year. I, 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 it might be arguable that Ariel is uh, DC's best player. I believe him to be. Uh, and so I would agree with Martinez. You. And certainly Joseph Martinez for Atlanta United. So you have both teams without their best player. Uh, it, it, DC has been profoundly affected by injury this year. Um, I think their leading goal scorer only has three goals. I mean, it's just crazy. They've had a lot of really bad luck. I think some of Atlanta United's problems have been bad luck. Um, I think this is, uh, frankly, Mike, a, a real barometer game for Atlanta United. Um, this is a game they should be able to handle. Uh, and if they struggle, and, and their big problem has been conceding early goals, uh, if they struggle in that respect again on Saturday, we could be having some tough conversations down here next week. I, I see it as a winnable game, but if D.C. can hurt them early, because Atlanta United has been very vulnerable giving up the early goals, that would certainly give them the ability to maybe slow the game down by some tactical fouling and, and grind out a low-scoring win. So, yeah, it's, I'm thinking it's either going to be Atlanta uh, one or two to nothing or nil-nil. But if, it's yeah. right, if they, they have a nasty habit, Atlanta, of conceding goals, especially in the first ten minutes, I think they're like, oh, yeah, oh and eight Five times. When, Five, Five times, times this year they've conceded in the, the first ten minutes. And one other thing, Bill Amid has always had Atlanta United's number, especially in games played at D.C. So, you know, if you're looking at the trends, if you're looking at the, the series history, uh, whether it be at RFK or Audi Field, Atlanta – in fact, Atlanta United's never won at, at Washington, D.C. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. This is probably as vulnerable as – as DC has been in any of those meetings, but Atlanta United really had problems with them over the years. Are you guys well, doing the game from up here, or are you doing it from Atlanta? Trying to play the, trying to play the Rogers and uh, seven point underdog going in uh, the Monday night game, which is uh, not necessarily a great move. But uh, you know, right now you're going up against the Packers. You're going up against the Packers, who uh, won a very big game last Monday night or Sunday. I can't remember yeah. Sunday or Monday. And uh, so what do you think about this game coming up? Because this is really, as I said before, this is pretty much a water, a watershed for, for Atlanta. They got to yeah. win. They got to do something. Yeah, I, I think Atlanta, and just to answer Mike's question quickly, MLS is not letting radio crews go on the road right now. So we'll be calling that game from Atlanta. As far as Monday night is concerned, uh, I, I think Atlanta, the Falcons will probably be the most prepared they have been in some time. Uh, they've been challenged by everyone this week. So I expect them to be prepared. I just don't know from a talent standpoint. They would really need to get a lot of injury help defensively because Grady Jarrett, Tack McKinley, Dante Fowler, your three best pass rushers, they're all going to enter the week questionable. All three of them were dinged up last week, uh, either in the game or didn't play. 
Ricardo Allen, who, you know, is an okay safety, but I think from a leadership standpoint, someone very valuable for them. He's probably not going to play the way it sounds. Uh, Darquez Denard, a corner, is now on injured reserve. So if, it, if the Falcons are going to win on Monday, it's going to have to be an extremely high-scoring game. I don't know what the over-under is. Uh, I just don't know, with all the injuries defensively, if the Falcons are going to be able to beat Aaron Rodgers uh, up at Lambeau Field. I think it's going to be really tough. Like the beginning of the season, I mean, he yeah. you know, they talked about uh, last weekend's game and, uh, and the matchup between the two great quarterbacks. But I want to tell you, one quarterback uh, – <laughs> Let the team to win, and it's going to be very hard to to move him off that win this week. Yeah, and I think the other thing about Rodgers too that's underrated, an underrated aspect of his game is he's a little more mobile than people give him credit for. And the Falcons really had trouble against Russell Wilson uh, and against Dak Prescott, two mobile quarterbacks the first week, first two weeks of the season. So, you know, from a Falcon standpoint, that's something that would really concern me. Roger. Well, I was just going to say, Mike, you know, when I think back, I watching the uh, Texans play and they're off to a horrendous start. I think they're 0 and 3. And I look at Deshaun Watson and I can remember doing his first high school game at Gainesville yeah. High. You know, yeah. and remember he, you know, he uh, he replaced uh, the guy that went to uh, Alabama, and they made a uh, uh, Saban made him a wideout uh, from quarterback. Yeah. And I'll I'll never forget doing the game. I said this kid is more advanced as a freshman than the other guy was as like a junior. And obviously, yeah. my prediction was right. But what a what a fine young man, as you know, because. Everybody in in uh, the Gainesville Atlanta area just knows how good he was as a person, and so when I see him and he's and he's not doing, I mean the team's not doing well. I get you know a little uh, upset because I just know what he was like as a young man uh, growing up, and of course then he went to Clemson and and had all kinds of success. Well, as you know, Roger, we've been very fortunate down here because. Um... You know, the state of Georgia has been just an unbelievable breeding ground for NFL talent. Uh, oh, yeah. I remember, and, and, you know, he played in the state of South Carolina. I remember doing a high school game when A.J. Green was a freshman, uh, you know, 14-year-old <laughs> freshman. And right. it, it became very, very apparent watching him as a 14-year-old that he was a special player. Uh, right. That's the one thing we're very lucky to have down here in the South is we get to see a lot of these these future stars when they're up and coming. going to have a fine weekend this weekend. That ought to be a great game. I think that's this can't Saturday wait. ought to be a great game. Yeah, can't wait. Weird to see it in October as opposed to near Thanksgiving. But uh, I, I think it's going to be a ter- really tremendous game. I, I like Georgia very much. I, I really think Georgia is, uh, uh, it, especially playing at home, I really like them in that game. They've got to figure out their quarterback situation. But, um, you know, the way they ran the ball against Arkansas and the way they defended against Arkansas, I really, really like Georgia in that game on Saturday. Well, Mike, Don Henderson's grandson was the quarterback for for Ewing High School. Anybody can tell me about losing a game. That Texas game was unbelievable with two and a half minutes to go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, anything can and probably will happen in this college football season because – 
of the limited preparation time and, and you know, the, the problems that are happening on all these campuses where uh, it was a rough start to the season and, and the, the preparations has not been the same. That Texas game was absolutely crazy this past Saturday. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, Mike, that Don Henderson's grandson was the quarterback for Ewing High School against Middletown South in his senior year, and it was the uh, the semifinals of New Jersey, uh, Central New Jersey, Group 3, and in the backfield for Middletown South, none other than no Sean Marino. No and kidding. There are, <laughs> no, no. There are controversial calls, and I interviewed him over at Georgia. Don knows the story because we were all there. It was a triple overtime on a, a cold Saturday night in New Jersey. Let me tell you, it was cold. We we're broadcasting the game. And uh, I said to Noshan, uh, this is when he and Stafford, I figured we're going to go in the draft, you know, early. And I asked him, I said, I want to talk to you about that Ewing uh, game. And he says, I know what you want to ask me. You want to know if I scored that touchdown. And I said, that's right. And, and he says, I did. And he's laughing. I said, well, listen, our friend Georgia Gorman was standing there and he said, you didn't score. And then he's laughing oh, some more. You know? <laughs> but he, I interviewed him at the Super Bowl, too. He's a great – I mean, it's a shame as the injuries caught up to him. Sure. And, uh, you know, he had a relatively short career, but just a terrific young man. I asked him, I said, uh, uh, do your parents fly, uh, drive down here to see your games? He looks at me, drive, man, they, they fly, you know. <laughs> Roger, I think George Gorman was 100% right. I know you do. <laughs> and then the, the winning touchdown, you know, and those those referees ran up that hill so fast to get out of time. But uh, well, is, is, is Doug with us? Reverse those calls. It's over. It's yeah, over, Doug's yeah. with us. But, uh, it's over. We got right. a lot of games, a lot of, lot of weekends to talk about it, but it's, and it's not going to change the outcome. But it's a lot of fun no, to talk about it. It's still a lot of fun to reminisce. It is. Well, listen, Mike, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, continued success. We'll keep in touch. And uh, I just hope that, that things turn around because you're right. Dan Quinn is a terrific guy. And you just never want to see a, uh, a, a coach uh, go through what he's going through, the frustration and everything. And I guess Thomas Dimitrov is on the uh, hot seat, too. I would think. Uh, I think. I, I think those two are very much right now. You have a chance to have lunch together or something. Uh, uh, let Roger know when you're coming in and and what uh, what your plans are. If you have time, uh, we'll catch you up for lunch. I, uh, Don, I really appreciate that. Thank you. And, and Roger, great hearing from you again. And uh, you all take care. And uh, please try to get the Eagles on track. We need it. Yeah, and get the Falcons on track. I'm with you. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, listen, take care, Mike. Best of your family okay. and uh, and Matt and also Matt Moore. Give him my best. And Chris Winkler. Uh, I, I'm going to take – Chris Winkler is with the United, right? Chris Winkler is with us. Yeah, now Matt and Chris, and uh, they do a great job, so I'll pass it along. Guys, have a good night. Thanks so much. Okay, you too, Mike. Thanks Thank so much. Okay. Good luck. Bye-bye. Continue success. Mike Simzak, are you still there? No, he dropped too. He dropped off. Well, I'll tell you, we covered a lot. I was waiting for Doug. Is Doug with us tonight? Doug's been here. 
Oh, Doug, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. He's got cobwebs. Okay. Okay, Don, it's all yours with golf, you know. I I didn't hear that. Is Doug going to be on? Yes. He's He's on. He's on. I told you about 10 minutes ago. Where did he go? (laughs) (laughs) Before we talk about about, uh, your pro career or your country club, I know you're a multi-talented sports enthusiast. Yeah. And I want mm-hmm. you to give me the winning horse in the Preakness this weekend because I know you charted <laughs> the ball, and yeah. I want to know who's going to win so I know where to put my money. No, you're, <laughs> I, I only get one? <laughs> uh, I mean, you, know, you know about I'm, the Preakness. If they have it in Baltimore, you know. Right. <laughs> um, well, listen, I, I, I'm – I'm not really set on on just one horse. I think I'm going to throw a couple in there uh, in terms of the uh, exact or trifecta here. So um, I think I think you have to bet. Authentic, I think, is is uh, worthy of a bet. Um, obviously, he'll be the morning line favorite. Um, you know, your your Derby winner. But I think I like Art Collector, um, and I like um, I like I like Thousand Words. Um, but from a long shot standpoint, if you're throwing a horse in there, it can win you some money. I like um, pneumatic, and I also okay. like Mac. I think it's uh, I think it's Maxfield. I think is the other one. Well, you like very many horses. Nobody left in the field you haven't covered. <laughs> well, there's there's eleven <laughs> horses. I gave you five, but if you it's all won or lost in how you bet. You have to bet correctly, so you. No kidding around, and, and because I think yeah. it's going to be a good race. But uh, my question is uh, now they're, they're not going to allow any fans in, correct? Correct. And uh, so it'll be just a televised event solely, just like it was at the Belmont, just like it was at you know the other big races, except we've got the Kentucky Derby. Uh, have they done? I know they were supposed to do extensive work at the Preakness to upgrade the the uh, entire facility. Have they done that? Well, there's. It's. I believe it's a. It's a plan over several years. Um, I mean that um, entire area is uh, not necessarily a the kind of area you'd like to visit and spend time. You know, other than just the Preakness. Um, obviously, they were talking about. Know, moving the event from Baltimore because of it. I mean, the the you know, it's it's very dilapidated. I mean, the it, you know it's just they they don't really run races there anymore. You know what I mean? So they it's I mean it's it's not like um, you know if you go to Churchill Downs, you know they actually run races there on a fairly you know regular basis. And, and you know it's it's just I mean look any any time you talk about gambling and horse racing and and even some of the off-track places. I mean, a lot of those are, are shady areas where, where people go and, and they're attracting individuals that, um, unfortunately, you know, aren't, aren't high-class society individuals. Not to say that you can't be to, to gamble, but uh, you know, by and large, you're, you're not you're not drawing you know the upper echelon of people into those areas. Um, maybe throw in some alcohol and some other you know uh, items, and it, it just doesn't tend to be a you know a formula for you know, um, you know, a black tie event for sure. Um, so, I mean, I, I think over the course of time, you know, the, you know, the, um, 
revenue authority or whomever's in charge or the jockeys club rather is trying to pump some money into that so they can keep the event here because I think in a normal year when you're drawing fans and and those sorts of things I mean if there's a lot of revenue to be made so I mean you know to put some money back into that obviously is a is a good business decision. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, we don't get to really publicize or talk about many, you know, many races during the course of the season anymore. Mm-hmm. It used to sure. be an event that uh, you could talk about almost every Saturday or Sunday, but that's sure. not the case any longer. But getting back as a head professional and uh, at mm-hmm. your club coming to the end yep. of the season, uh, I yes, know you're sir. still trying to get some uh, support from other people within the club work-wise. Uh, mm-hmm. Where do you stand and where does golf stand now leading into the fall? Um, you know, it's, it was okay, you know, for, for a month or two in terms of just, um, ma- maintaining at least a, a basic level of staffing, but I mean, it's, it's actually gotten worse. Um, you know, I, I lost another guy here recently, um, you know, and I've got my three day closing event here starting tomorrow. Um, you know, I've got, uh, 96 guys playing golf for three days. Um, five nine hole formats and, and match play in terms of our member member and you know there's a there's an awful lot going on uh, a lot goes into the preparation a lot goes into the execution and um, you know there's a lot of hands that need to be on deck in terms of handing out scorecards and, and um, all, all the you know ancillary things that we need to do to make preparation from the range to the golf carts to the scoreboards to um, the scoring um, and all the you know the side bets and different things that are happening here so um i'm I'm in for a, a rough couple of days here um in terms of you know, just how busy it is and and how um much focus i think is on uh winning the event winning winning money um crowning a champion and uh you know obviously the the food um that that comes with that and the golf course everybody's kind of on on point in terms of their game being at the the highest level it can be uh for the next three days so you know, there's there's a lot. Um, I mean, I I input the uh, rounds of golf uh, for the month of September um, into our spreadsheet, and we are up 158 rounds of golf comparative to last year at the same point in time. You know, which obviously tells you we we had we didn't play golf for four months this year, so we're 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 doing more rounds than what we did the entire last year to this point minus four months. So That's that amazing. tells you how busy you know. Basically, what you're saying is we're doing an additional thousand rounds per month, you know, more than what we had done before. Um, right. So, I mean, a lot remains remains to be seen. You know, obviously, October presents itself to be a wonderful golf month. Um, typically, people play through the month of November, and if you know, historically, December, um, if we, you know, we haven't really had a, a harsh winter in several years now. So, um, frankly, I, I hate to say this, you know, because I love the game and, and, and seeing people and all the things, but the first couple of snowflakes that fall will bring a smile to my face. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, Roger, we'll let you get into the football front because I know you watch with uh, great, <laughs> with, with great uh, success. And listening to what the Ravens were going to do this last weekend on Monday night. Uh, I'll let you get in with Doug on the Ravens. Go ahead. Well, I'll tell you, I was surprised and, uh, and wasn't surprised, I guess, about that uh, game the other night, Doug, the, because mm-hmm. I, I think the Ravens are really the cream of the crop. But then, obviously, you've got a, a couple of teams that are in that category now, mm-hmm. including the Packers and, and a couple of others. So, 
Um, sure. What, what was the what was the uh, mood in Baltimore after that uh, loss? Well, uh, you know, obviously the you know the most clear cut answer would would be frustration. Um, you know, watching that game on a Monday night where you're the only game in town, you're playing at home. You know, obviously I know there's no fans involved, but um, to be able to sleep in your own bed and play in your own stadium certainly means something. But, um, you know, when when the game started and, and the Ravens came out and drove down the field and kicked a field goal, I thought, okay, well, I mean, that was that was a pretty good start. But, I mean, a lot of the, the basic fundamentals, um, they just were uh, so off on – um, assignments in terms of who was covering whom, uh, routes that they ran were inconsistent, and um, in some cases, you know, led to collisions. Um, you know, the, the simple things of blocking and catching and throwing and tackling were seemingly hard uh, for them to execute on Monday night. I think that the um, the defensive game plan by uh, Wink Martindale was was um, obviously one that he was trying to. Uh, bring lots of pressure, um, making Mahomes potentially throw the football to the wrong areas. And, I mean, they got no pressure uh, whatsoever. Um, and he was able to sit in the pocket and just figure out where the open guy was. And he picked him apart, um, and their defense just looked um, out of sorts. They they, they couldn't cover anybody, and, and they were just giving up kind of chunk plays. And I'll, I'll hand it to Patrick Mahomes. I mean, obviously he made – you know, several throws that he dropped the ball into the bucket perfectly and, and uh, put it only in a spot where his receiver could get it, um, even when we did um, actually cover somebody, uh, you know, halfway decent. But, um, you know, after the first half, uh, their kicker missed that field goal and, um, you know, it was, uh, uh, what, 27-10 at the half and certainly wasn't looking good if you're a Ravens fan. And I considered just going to bet at that point in time, but I wanted to see what the third quarter would bring and, what kind of adjustments maybe they would make at halftime. So um, obviously to come out and get a turnover and, and drive down and, and score some points and get it back to, you know, a respectable number. And when it got to 27-20, I thought you know, maybe the momentum had shifted enough that they could they could stay in the game and, and still make it competitive. But um, I guess early in that fourth quarter, uh, Kansas City drove down and, and scored again, and that was all she wrote. So uh, disappointing. You know, I think that if you're going to try to win a Super Bowl, um, you know, it, it's got to go through Kansas City, and uh, we've lost to them three consecutive years. And um, it's just – it's frustrating, you know, because obviously Kansas City is a good football team. Um, I think the Ravens' uh, personnel probably is better than their team, um, but, but you have to put it together for four quarters on the, on the, on the field, and they haven't been able to do that. Uh, so um, – you know, hopefully they can bounce back this week and and uh, and get themselves together with a little better game plan and uh, execute and uh, hopefully take advantage of a of a Washington football team that that maybe isn't quite as talented, obviously as as the Chiefs are, but um, nonetheless they're on their schedule and you have to make the plays and you have to show up and you have to win. So, um, you know, I don't know what to expect. They could come out and lay an egg against the team that they should beat. Uh, or they can come out and completely dominate that football team and, and uh, you know, and score 40 points, you know, and I'm hoping that's what right. happens. And maybe maybe they're they're upset enough that, that they'll have a good week of practice and, and come out and, and look sharp and execute. I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, Doug, well, Kansas City has so much speed. I mean, it's just yeah. unbelievable. That kid that outran that the, the defensive backs, I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, he was, you know, well, yeah, Jets, Jets on. But uh, and Andy's well, a great coach. 
You know, he for never. Sure. I don't think he ever got enough credit in Philadelphia what he accomplished. No, to be honest. not at all. No, he's he's a Hall of Fame coach for sure, and uh, he's been able to, um, you know, integrate different personnel um, in terms of his play calling uh, throughout his tenure as a head football coach and and the offensive coordinator. And um, you know, look, the uh, that was a track meet. You know, the we know the Kansas City Chiefs have. I mean, Tyreek Hill is a freak. He 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 runs with with gazelles, you know. Um, but but on the other side, you know, the Ravens have uh, Duvernay and they have. Um, Marquise Brown and and um, they're able to to move pretty quick on their side and I know that kind of that's the um, the blueprint if you will in the NFL is is to draft speed and and make it um, that kind of game as opposed to power anymore um, right you know Lamar Lamar Jackson uh, his game speed when he has a ball in hand if you watched any of his runs I mean he is just so dynamic with the football and he is very quick and and decisive and elusive in terms of his cuts and he plants and goes and um, he's he's hard to bring down um, in the open field like that because he's shifty. Um, but you know, I, I mean, unfortunately, they just uh, that's well, been the overall had, game. Basically, they only had 97 yards through the air, which was uh, yeah. not that not that was his fault. They were chasing him all over the field. But I think sure. your comments pretty much reflect exactly what Harbaugh said on ESPN uh, mm-hmm. following the game because he he was very calm. I, I was. Uh, a little surprised. Harbaugh was very very calm mm-hmm. and talked about basically what you're talking about, the mistakes that they made, key mistakes sure. that they made, and put them into a situation that they couldn't right. recover. That's pretty much exactly what you're saying. Well, I mean, the, the game itself, I think, um, set, set, set itself up to be a, a wonderful barometer of where they were in their season, and clearly they're not ready to play. Uh, championship style football and they have a lot of things to, to iron out and work on and so to be honest with you um, you know the clunker they put up there I think was the best possible thing that could have happened to them at this point in the season um, in, in terms of them working super hard in practice and, and trying to, to correct a lot of their mistakes uh, to move forward with so um, I'm actually uh, that they got beat uh, in the fashion they did because it gives them something to work on to get better Oh, usually Tommy says tick, tick, tick. We're out of time. Doug, mm-hmm. once again, and, a pleasure. And uh, I think the Ravens are still course. one of the top picks to get to the Super Bowl one way or the other. They just yep. had a bad night the other night. No question about sure. it. Well, uh, Roger, thank you very much as always. And we had a great fleet of guests from Tom LeMaine right on down to Mike and everybody that joined us. In fact, two Mike's joined us. And, uh, that's right. So thank you as well. Frank has been at the helm as always. Frank, thank you so much. You did a great job. And uh, we'll get together again next Wednesday night. Have a good week, everybody. God bless. Thank you, Frank. You're the master. There's no doubt about it. Without you, there is no show. With So take care. God bless. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. We have appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please make sure that you let them know that you know they're there. It's very important at this special time of the year. These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Randy Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafo Crisp from Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogo, along with Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. 
Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol. <clears throat> Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Godwin. Mark Wilson, uh, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Office. Patrolman Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Cla Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Cotlop. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police. Captain Matt Letourneau, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. FDLE Special Inspector, Benny Galaccio, Delaware State Troopers, Corporal Stephen Ballard. The Kissimmee Police Officer, Matt Baxter. Uh, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Police Department. Uh, Captain, I'm sorry, Deputy Bill uh, Gentry, Highland County Sheriff's Office. Deputy Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Office. Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Office. Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. My brothers and sisters, I'll know you may be 10-7 at this point in time. Sometime will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night and God bless. Oh, I shall strength 